0: You're listening to Politics and Beyond on Capital 263. This is a special message from the Zimbabwe International Book Fair. The book fair will be hosting its annual book fair uh, next week from the 2nd to the 5th of August at Harare Gardens. The theme for this year's book fair is making the book pay. So I believe if there are any aspiring authors out there or any authors who'd like their books to make some money for them, this is the event for you to attend. I'll probably be there. I haven't started writing books yet, but, you know, maybe soon we'll have a Politics and Beyond book. So make sure you make it to the book fair if you're in Harare next week from the 2nd to the 5th of August. Back to your regular programming. And, and now. Capital 263. Welcome to Politics and Beyond on Capital 263. My name is Christopher Farai Charamba.
1: And I'm Tawanda Henry Beatty. and yeah, welcome to the best political podcast in the country, um, uh, the region and the continent, uh, um,
0: I, think, I think everyone <laughs> to who... cover all bases. <laughs> I think everyone who's been listening now actually just, they, they know, I hope they say it to themselves, you know, right. just before they tune in, they're right. like, you know what, we're listening to the best political podcast in the country, in the region, in the world, we're there going go. for the world. And uh, yeah, today is yeah. the twenty sixth of July, twenty seventeen. We have another guest with us in the studio, uh, Doctor Noah Manika from Build Zimbabwe Alliance. Thank you very much for being here, sir. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I think uh, you know, Doctor Manika is another entry <laughs> into the political space in Zimbabwe, a relatively new entry um, from the faces that we've been seeing. So. For the new entries, is an old, amongst the new entries is an old entry. <laughs> he's,
1: he's, That's right. He, he's, he's, he's quite seasoned, <laughs> yes. Because he's he the originator of the new entries. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he pioneered. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. No. So, um, thank you, Doctor Manika, for being here. I don't know. You could maybe just you know tell us a bit about yourself, who you are, and what it is that you that you do. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I'm just a Zimbabwean
2: who loves my country. Uh, you know, I was, I'm a bit older than you, Chris, so uh, if I were to go back, uh, when Zimbabwe became independent, I was a young man coming out of high school, and uh, we experienced as we were growing up uh, some of the inequities in Rhodesia, and uh, we had a lot of hope uh, when things started off, um, and along the way, um, we, we, we took some turns, which were unfortunate turns, and uh, But I've always been uh, committed to seeing what I can do uh, to bring about change uh, in my country. Uh, So over the years, I have uh, worked with uh, different community organizations uh, to try and, uh, and particularly in the area of leadership training, inspiring people to become more civically engaged. Um, And then there was a time when I was out of the country actually working in the U.S. uh, for a couple of decades Uh, doing community work, uh, and uh, from the best practices over there, uh, I felt even much more compelled to see what I could do in the country. So uh, some of you might know that uh, between 2009 and 2013, when the Government of National Unity was in place, I was actually working with the Organ for National Healing uh, here, uh, trying to see how we could uh, create that space as a country where we could talk to each other and uh, possibly reap the peace dividend um, and would not be so scared of each other. And and then 2013 came and uh, we know the outcome of 2013 and we felt that we had taken two steps forward and uh, five steps back. Um, And uh, with the passage of time, I was one of those people who started feeling really challenged that uh, we needed to step up and do something and also, you know, see what we could do to bring about political change and uh, position
0: ourselves to rebuild the country. Okay. Um that's uh oh, that's, yeah. that's go ahead, Henry.
1: Concise yet comprehensive. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
0: Go ahead, Trish. Oh, okay. No, I thought you were going to, you know, ask the next question. Um so <laughs> now you you, you 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 said you were in the US for about two decades, mm-hmm. which is quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, now you've come back and you decided that the presidential uh, seat is where you want to, to, to take yourself. Mm-hmm. Why? What informed this decision? I mean, you'd been away for 20-odd for, for years. That's quite a long time. Yeah,
2: well, I was, I was away, but I would come back into the country. Like I said, between 2009 and 2013, we were working very, very closely with the Organ for National Healing. So I was very, very involved in what was going on uh, on the ground. Um, but I think one of the unfortunate things that has happened in Zimbabwe is this idea that there are some people who are more entitled uh, to participate in the political process than others. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why we are in the bind that we are in uh, right now. Uh, a Zimbabwean is a Zimbabwean. If you're a citizen of Zimbabwe, wherever you are, whether you're in the diaspora, in fact, uh, some, of the, some countries like you know, in Israel, if you're a, a Jewish guy and you're anywhere in the world, you're always thinking about your homeland. And whatever experiences you go through, life experiences you go through, they inform how you participate in, you know, in, in building your country. So I think Zimbabwe is going to benefit a lot. It's going to be a great, great country when we recognize that every Zimbabwean, wherever they are, uh, are, are, must participate fully in the rebuilding of our country and determining what happens to it. So, yeah, I'm a full Zimbabwean, and what entitles me to come and participate is my citizenship. Uh, rather than where I've found myself to be at uh, for the past two
1: decades i th- I think no one will take away your your rights as a citizen uh, to participate. I think perhaps the question is why um, as president um, uh, given you know the limited experience politically of um you know the 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 organization of national healing between um two thousand nine and two thousand and thirteen um you know it's a question we we're asking a lot of candidates as to why um with your history and um we decide to participate as a presidential candidate as opposed to um as an m p or as another part of another party, or, but why particularly as president?
2: Well, I, I think it, it depends on what you feel um, a, a sense of calling for. That's, that's what I feel a sense of calling for, and I really believe that my life experience has prepared me for that. Uh, but, you know, to be honest with you, I, I was thinking about this as I was driving here. One of the things that I love about uh, your, your program is, is the name. Uh, it says Politics and Beyond. But I don't like the politics part of it. I like the beyond uh, part of it. I like the things that affect people on a day-to-day basis. And, and I think each and every one of us needs to figure out what is it that we can do uh, beyond uh, you know, conventional politics to actually you know, bring a difference to our country. And it just so happens that I think the most influential position uh, you get there politically. But what I'm interested in is how we can uh, transform lives and how we can leverage our individual experiences and our collective experiences uh, to transform lives in Zimbabwe, and to make sure that Zimbabweans fully uh, live up to their um, promise and potential. And I, I actually think I'm prepared for that. Um, and uh, you know, to be honest with you, uh, some people might spend so much time thinking, you know, what is it that qualifies a person for the presidency? And, uh, in fact, I could ask you that question. What is it that qualifies a person for the presidency? Do you need to have served as a minister for 37 years in the current <laughs> government? <laughs> do you need uh, – what, what is it that you need? I mean, you just need to have a vision for the country and the conviction that there are some things that you can accomplish and uh, things that you can leverage as well. But I'm interested in the beyond the politics. I'm interested in the, you know, how people live and what we can do to make sure that uh, people, uh, you know, fulfill their uh, potential
0: them? One thing that people do need to be president is, mm-hmm. you know, people to vote for them. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, they have people who have come before and they have tried um, to win the presidency from the incumbent government. And one of the, where they always tend to fall short is the numbers at mm-hmm. the end of the day. Mm-hmm. You are relatively new in the political scene. Mm-hmm. Um, they are other opposition movements that have been around. How, how have you managed, or how are you managing to, to build the numbers? Do you think that come 2018, you will have the, if we say 3 million people voted last election, 1.5 million votes to actually get you into the presidency?
2: I don't think that there is any shortcuts to uh, mobilizing people and getting the numbers. You have to do the grant work. You have to be on the ground. Uh, meeting people, I'm just coming from a meeting with uh, several of our councillors in Harare here. Uh, obviously, there are some things that uh, we have been doing that are not necessarily known yet. And for us, that's fine. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very uh, happy with uh, working quietly and engaging the people who matter, who are the, who are the voters. And um, time will come uh, when we will you know, reveal uh, how much strength we have politically in the country. But we're working on it day day by day. Look, nobody should feel entitled to the vote uh, of the Zimbabwean people. You work for it. You go out there, you message, uh, you engage, uh, you make sure that you have the most compelling message of uh, all the people who are competing. And uh, hopefully, uh, if your message resonates and you work hard enough and you are are seen in all the places that you should be seen, where there are voters uh, and they like your message, you have the numbers. The the dangerous thing that I see in Zimbabwe is discounting people because they are new. Let let me just say this. We have some very old politicians who have destroyed our country. We have people with very, very old ideas uh, who have absolutely destroyed our country. Just hold on. Let's connect
0: back to Henry there. Mm -hmm. These are some of the challenges we face in Zimbabwe where the internet connection is not as strong as as it should be. And so, Henry, yeah, you're back up.
2: Yeah. So, so I think the most important thing is not that somebody is new. Uh, the question is, what ideas are they bringing to the table? Uh, the other thing also is that you know, I lived in a country called Romania for uh, three years in the, in the 80s. I remember when I left Romania in 1985, thinking there is no way political change is ever going to come to Romania. Because the system which was in Romania at that time was, if you are thinking this is repressive, it was seriously repressive. The third of the adult population in Romania were were rumored to be in the secret service. So, you know, you could never sit down with a person and start talking about trying to bring about political change because you didn't know who you were talking to. When I left and I came back home after uh, living in Romania, I I remember thinking there's no way there will ever be political change. But a moment came in Romania where people were totally fed up. And I truly believe that uh, Zimbabweans are saying to themselves, you know, this is not what we were created to live in, these kinds of conditions, and uh, the the populace might just surprise those who think that the new
0: entrants will not be able to mobilize support. So, is your party competing in all 210 constituencies, uh, aside from the presidency? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we have a Superma- Zanu PF has a super majority in parliament, yes. which then amended our constitution um, yesterday. Also, I'd like to ask your thoughts on that. You know, what 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 are your thoughts on on what, what is happening with our current parliament mm-hmm. and with your party, Build Zimbabwe, is the intention to compete in all two hundred and ten constituencies? And how are you going about the process of finding the people to stand in those constituencies?
2: Yeah, that's our, our, our goal is to compete in all 210 constituencies. And we're doing it constituency by constituency, identifying people who have the leadership potential and investing in those people. And you know what? They say that to eat an elephant, you have to begin, you know, small, you know, you do it in small chunks, don't you? Mm-hmm. So we're doing that in a very, very deliberate and thoughtful way. Uh, And as we do that, we know that we'll gather momentum to do it countrywide. Um, So and right now we've had fantastic responses uh, from those uh, who we're working with. And in the next couple of weeks, actually, you you will see some of the events that we'll be doing, which will actually showcase some of the support that we have uh, on the ground. Well, as far as constitutional changes, look, this is the situation that we are in. There is no way that we're going to bring political change into this country without an unprecedented mobilization and engagement of Zimbabweans in the country and outside. As you and I know, uh, there's a a whole chunk of people, there are almost 5 million people who don't vote. And uh, if we don't mobilize those people to actually register to vote, if we don't inspire them, if we don't have a compelling message that says to them, you know, it is your duty to vote, and people actually do that, then, you know, the status quo is going to continue. And as a citizen, all I'm committed to doing is to, you know, know, to try and and do that. And and I truly believe that the Zimbabwean people deserve our best effort to engage them. So, yeah, I mean, you know, this is the situation that we are in. They have the majority. They will make the constitutional changes that uh, they will make. But I don't think that you can forever ignore the voice of the people
1: um you uh, you're building um sorry just to backtrack a little bit i know that um you call it uh your uh, your 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 parliamentary candidates you call it project um 210 mm-hmm. or 2010 or 210 sorry right. um plus um have you has that launched officially or is that still works what and you- if it has uh, are you how much youth uptake do you have in that in terms of uh, maybe a percentage, or um, if you've only been to a few areas, how many of those people are actually young people, um, I suppose as defined by the Constitution, but I, I mean genuine young people, <laughs> you're, not, you're not not just youthful, you- fit politicians that claim their youth. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're talking about the youthies. Eh? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, this is, uh, as as you rightly say, we are new, we're relatively new, and maybe among the new entrants we are older. Uh, but we're relatively new. Uh, the idea here has been that there should be a partnership between those uh, who feel cold, who are on the ground, who want to be MPs or who want to be councillors, a partnership with uh, even my own uh, presidential candidacy. And you know, If we agree on the very same values and we can equip each other and we can resource each other, then we are going to be able to um, you know, cause uh, the, the, the right kind of problems in this country. We haven't gone throughout the whole country, uh, as it were. We started in Harare, and we have uh, actually identified MPs in Harare. Uh, some we are happy with, uh, others we are not quite. Uh, we're in, going through a process of vetting right now uh, our candidates, and uh, we are behind in our training program, which we wanted to start, to start a couple of months ago. But the thing about it is that we wanted to make sure that the ones that we bring onto the program are actually the right candidates. As you can imagine, uh, there are a lot of people in Zimbabwe who are not employed and there are a lot of people who will respond to a program like this being launched, not necessarily because they have the call of leadership, but because maybe there seems to be an opportunity to make a living from it. And uh, we're very, very uh, focused on making sure that that's not what we are doing, just simply getting people who want to make a living uh, from politics. We want people who really feel that they can transform their communities, they've got the competencies to do that, and they're also willing to learn. They're willing to uh, actually be challenged on uh, what they know and to be equipped uh, so that they can bring transformation to their communities. Now, when it comes to the demographics of uh, you know, who it is that is coming forward as a, as a leader or as a counselor, we have not sat down and said, you know, do we have 20% young people, uh, 20% women?
1: Uh, we're going to be doing that shortly. 20% it. is not enough, by the way. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> if, if that's the number you're throwing about no, no, no. in your, in your...
1: <laughs> no no
2: I, I i know it should be something like 40 50 percent but anyway uh, here's uh, what i'm saying is that we're not actually uh, well actually
0: the youth is 78 from... percent of this country under yeah. 35 right. so <laughs> maybe it should be around that figure. well look the thing
2: about it is that you you The the people who should lead in this country is not just one demographic. That's right. We should have every demographic stepping forward and saying we we need change in our country. And I think sometimes, I I really do believe that we make a mistake by simply focusing on one demographic because there is a smaller demographic uh, which is holding, uh, I think, the entire nation to ransom in some ways. And we've got to address that demographic. And we've got to woo them from whatever side they are in to say, look, We deserve the change that we need in this country. So I I really don't want uh, this to be a a situation where we're playing off one generation against the other. However, we must uh, recognize that unless we mobilize the young people in this country to register to vote and to actually vote and to stand in parliament, to to stand for parliamentary seats, to run as councillors, then we're not going to bring about that change. But I think it's important for us to make sure that this is uh, a battle for everybody.
0: You mentioned that you started in, in Harare in terms of canvassing mm-hmm. for your MP candidates. Mm-hmm. And uh, you are behind, you said, in terms of your training. Mm-hmm. And you plan on fielding candidates in all 210 constituencies. Mm-hmm. Will you have enough time to actually find the people, train the people the way you say that you want to, and then, you know, campaign for all 210 seats in Parliament.
2: I don't know how much time is enough time, to be honest with you, Chris. I actually think that whether it's three months out before the election or ten months out before the election, or nine months, whatever, whatever time there is, people should step up and actually volunteer themselves to lead if they've got the qualities of leadership. And we must do whatever we need. Uh, you know, if it is urgent that we, if we are supposed to compact our training program and do it within two months and make sure that people are ready to take up those positions, we must do it. Uh, because I think that's the other thing that kind of discourage we we can discourage ourselves as uh, as people are engaged in this process by always looking at you know, do you have enough time? Well, the other question that you know people would ask is do you have enough resources? Well, who, who, in Zimbabwe right now, if you look at all the political parties, the biggest advantage goes to Zanu PF because Zanu PF can actually use the resources of the state. They can commandeer the resources of the state and actually. Because there's no daylight between PF as a political party and the government and the state. So who has enough resources? It's not a question of having enough time or enough resources. It's the conviction that we must have as Zimbabweans that we actually want political change. And uh, we must work as hard as we can, whether we are 12 months out. In fact, the funny thing about this, Chris and Henry, is two years out, when I was having conversations with people, two years out, they were saying, well, we've run out of time, you know. So what's enough time in, in Zimbabwe? Uh, you know, I, I really, truly believe it's our commitment and our conviction to bring about
0: change uh, that we should be talking about. So you spoke about resources. I think I... I just... Yeah, I, yeah sorry, go ahead. I just want to, you ahead, know, please. I just want to find out, you spoke about resources. Mm-hmm. Number one, do you have a figure of how much it's actually, you actually going to need? And how are you raising the resources in terms of financial resources? <laughs> I don't know if it's, you know... Um, I'll, and I I'll, I'll ask this question because some of the new entrants, Fadzai Mahere, for example, mm-hmm. has come out and said mm-hmm. that, you know, she needs, I think it's $30,000 30, mm-hmm. and that she's trying to raise for her campaign and that's one parliamentary seat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, these are some of the issues that come and up.
1: Uh, And, yeah, Dr. Nkosana Mue has decided to to... A co fund me or generosity account for 500,000 as well um, for his presidential campaign. Mm -hmm. So he's crowdfunding for about 500,000. So, um, do you have a figure like that at all?
2: (laughs) No, I don't have a figure like that. Uh, What I know is that it is going to take a lot of resources. And to be honest with you, I really don't think that it is helpful to uh, you know, to be saying, I have this much money or this is how I raise the money and, and, and so on. I, I truly believe that, uh, if I may suggest, that right now what we need uh, to be focusing on is how do we engage, like, like you rightly say, this cohort of young people uh, who, who really need to register to vote and to go to the vote. I think anybody who has actually entered the race we must presume that they have a funding plan for, for their... Uh, but I don't know that it is helpful to say, you know, I have this much money. Uh, and also, I don't think that it is helpful to presume how the Zimbabwean people are going to respond to our calls for us as Zimbabweans to fund the things that we do. We know that people are going through difficult times. Uh, and, and, you know, all we can do is to say to Zimbabweans, this is going to be your freedom. It's, uh, and, and you must have skin in the game
1: i I can appreciate um and I think we'll we'll move on, but I think i made the thing to do with the funding is that um our analysis of how um you spoke about the state funding is that it's really a become a situation of the politics of of the belly very often, mm-hmm. and another thing is that uh you know people tend to have this impression that if, um, and I think this is why some of these other candidates are quite popular. These other independent candidates are quite popular. Is that if you have financial means within yourself, you are less likely to be corrupt. And I think for our generation, a lot of people are tired with corruption. Um, a lot of people are tired with uh, you know you know either vote buying or anything like that. So they would prefer to see someone who has that plan and i think that's why um i appreciate that you would like to move on and i think but i just wanted to explain to you that's why people find that question of resources important because they also sort of have a comfort um maybe call it the donald trump effect if you will um of saying a candidate that has their out that won't need to steal from the electorate well i i don't, um, I, I don't
2: know if that's true though I mean, you, you look at the history of politics globally, it, it doesn't mean that if you're rich, you are the most morally sound person. So I think there's this <laughs> assumption. Uh, but the thing that should drive us as Zimbabweans is the fact that we need change in this country and we must have people of integrity. Whether those people have money or don't have money uh, is besides the point. We must have people of integrity who paint the right picture for us about where we should go and inspire people to rise up and participate in the political process. If this becomes about who has more money than the other, uh, then I think we have missed it. Uh, People with the right ideas and people of integrity must run this race, and they must be funded by us. We must, as citizens, respond to the message of those who we put to the test and we can tell this is a person of integrity. You, You may be surprised to hear me say this. I am not in this uh, in, in with a sense of entitlement that, you know, you know I'm going to win this uh, and people have to support me. No, I think what Zimbabwe needs is for each and every one of us who says they want to be president, they want to be MPs, they want to be councillors, to bring to the Zimbabwean people the absolute best compelling message and compete for the hearts and minds of the people of Zimbabwe. And that way, we will have the democracy that we want. What
0: What is the ideology of Build Zimbabwe Alliance? Um, you know, we we tend to get caught up in um, we've had ZANU PF regime for thirty seven years, and Mugabe must go, as one of the arguments that is brought forward. But what is the you know what is the underlying ideology of your party? What, how will if you then come into office in twenty eighteen, what will be driving what will be the driving arguments as you move the nation forward? What are some of the plans that you have for the country as, 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 you, as you enact your, your ideology?
2: Well, th- thank you for, for, for that. Uh, so I truly believe that Zimbabwe is a leadership problem. A lot of times uh, when we see countries where there are problems, we focus on the economics uh, of it uh, and, and all of that. But those are consequences of bad leadership. And I truly believe that it's not just a question of executive leadership. Uh, because when you talk about service delivery, for instance, that is, that's not a, you know, we're not talking about national leadership. We're talking about provincial and local uh, government. So Zimbabwe has a leadership problem, generally speaking. And our commitment as BZA is to ensure that we have leadership renewal from top to bottom. So you, know, you asked earlier about our program, P210 Plus program. It's not just focusing on MPs, it's focusing on councillors as well. Because if you do not have the right councillors, then you're never going to be able to resuscitate provincial economies. And, and for me, I hear a lot of people talking about, you know, we're going to you know, rebuild the economy of this country. And a lot of times what they're talking about is the economy of Harare, or they're talking about the economy of Blue Ale. What I believe is that we're never going to be able to resuscitate the economy of this country until we resuscitate the uh, economies of the provinces and of the local uh, communities. And so BZA's approach is that we need top to bottom leadership renewal, not just at the executive level, but even at local level. And uh, we also believe that we have to have uh, province-focused economic policy. So one of the things that we have uh, been advocating is that uh, in the event that the Zimbabwean people give us a mandate, We are going to make sure that we have a plan, a business resuscitation plan for each province. If you go back historically and you're looking at that time when we used to have high employment numbers and we used to have all these opportunities for people to go to to, to apprenticeships and so on, that was done by an economy which was functioning at every level, including at provincial level. So we need to resuscitate provincial economies we need to be able to do an asset mapping of our provinces to see where are the areas where we can invest and where can we lure partnerships into these provinces so that those economies uh, can thrive again. I believe in small government, and I've, uh, I'm on record already as saying that we're going to cut the uh, size of the executive in the event that we get a mandate uh, from 30-something MPs uh, to 14 MPs. because we don't Ministers. Ministers, I'm sorry. Uh, because we don't need that. We don't need that huge government uh, to actually... Uh, create the environment for businesses to thrive. I also believe that we should cut down on, the, on our legislature, which is humongous. And right now, including the, uh, cons- the 210 uh, elected um, MPs, we have an additional MP, number of MPs who are, ele- who are appointed, and we have senators, and if you look at our legislature, it's 350 strong. When you divide by 10 the number of provinces, that is an average of 10, uh, of 35 uh, representatives in the legislature of a province well that's wasteful <laughs> you know that money needs to go into the pro- uh, productive sector so those are some of the things that we are you know, we really feel need urgent attention and then there are things that we need to do you know some people will say you know what are you going to do with the land issue and, and so on look we know that there was the land apportionment act in 1930 we know that we know that uh, black people were dispossessed and Um, and put into tribal trust lands, and that was one of the main reasons why people went to war. And we are not saying that we'll come back in and we'll take land and we'll give it back. That is not uh, our commitment. Our commitment is that if we have taken this land, then we must make sure that it actually functions for the benefit of the country and make sure that you can mainstream, uh, you can bring uh, some of these uh, smaller farmers into, into, into commercial agriculture. Uh, as you, what I found out recently, which is really astonishing, is that this country has 10,000 dams. Out of the 12,000 dams in the region, we have 10,000. And if we really wanted to be serious about resuscitating agriculture, we can do it. If we have the right leadership that is connecting the resources that we have as a nation uh, with the people that we have, we could actually very, very easily uh, recover our economy just like that. So uh, these are some of the things that we are committed to and making sure that we restore property rights, making sure that we depoliticize our police force. And and, and let me say this lastly, and this I know relates to the young people. Every institution of higher learning in this country must become an incubator uh, of um, um, entrepreneurship. It must. And in order for that to happen, we have to have different leadership at the helm of some of these institutions. So this idea that you appoint um, the head of an institution which is in Masuingo, which is an institution of higher learning and it's a political appointment, doesn't serve us well. You have to have innovative leaders who understand what happens when a young person goes into this institution of higher learning, that this is the time when they are at their best intellectually. And this is the time when they can be inspired with ideas that can actually start industries. So we're very, very committed to making sure that we depoliticize the appointment of leaders of institutions of higher learning so that those institutions can be incubators of entrepreneurship in our country.
1: Right. It's a, it's a, you know, you speak very passionately about these things, which is great. And it's a, I think, uh, you know, the leadership focus is, um, you know, it seems so obvious, but it's a novel way to look at it. Um, What I'm more interested in is, uh, you know, uh, that being said and done, the practicalities of, of the coming election, um, there's been lots of talk of uh, coalition. There's been lots of talk of, uh, you know, opposition parties coming together as a way to de, to, to de-seat, um, and dethrone, uh, the current, dethrone <laughs> the current government. Um, you've been watching too much Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. Um, I know nothing, <laughs> but, uh, You know, so this question is a dual question. Um, Your position on coalitions, you said the country needs leadership renewal. Does that extend to your your compatriots in the opposition there? Um, And are you willing to join any coalition that is formed or a type of coalition that is formed as, uh, you know, a a means to an end um, ultimately for the the goal of uh, bringing about the change and uh, perhaps uh, you know, gaining some influence to begin implementing your leadership uh, program. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, you know, I'm on record as uh, you know, I've been asked this question on several occasions, and then this is what I've said because I've been trying to understand. You know, there are people who say, "Yeah, you, you know, you must join the grand coalition," and and I ask them, and I say, "What is? What does that mean? What does a grand coalition mean? Does a grand coalition mean just an aggregation of uh, opposition political parties?" Or does a grand coalition mean coming up with the absolute best message and programs that inspire the people of Zimbabwe to actually go out there and register to vote and then on an election day to actually go and vote? Is, is, is that the coming together of those brilliant ideas and those passionate leaders uh, who, you know, who paint that picture for us and inspire these 5 million people to vote? If that's a, uh, the, the coalition, then that's a winning coalition. I'll tell you what my fear is. My fear is that we will be so lazy as people in the opposition that we'll think that simply coming together is going to do it for us. And uh, the truth of the matter, uh, as far as I can see, is I don't see how that inspires people to register to vote. I don't see how that inspires people to actually go out to the polls and vote.
0: But, but surely yeah. if, if you say that, you know, if you do... Uh, become part of this grand mm-hmm. coalition mm-hmm. and you articulate your your ideas and mm-hmm. you know you can advocate for this mobilizing of people and 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 that sort of thing your input would then suggest that you form part of shaping what it is that it should be well that's and and if you mm-hmm. see that people are being lazy then you know you still have the option to to pull out it's not like you're forming one political party yeah though You know, at the end of the day, some might argue this is what it looks like on the face of it.
2: But, Chris, why don't you hold our feet to the fire and say, show me your plan first, and then work out a partnership with those people who have an equally compelling plan and come out with a force that can actually uh, unseat uh, the, the, the current system? Why is it that there is no pressure? Because some of the people that, look, if I'm going to go into a coalition with anybody, I have to know where they stand. I have to know where they stand when it comes to size of government. I have to know where they stand when it comes to their economic policy, and I have to be clear about it. And it has to be inspiring even to me, you know. And when I go into negotiations with anyone on a coalition, they also have to be inspired by what I bring. Uh, why do we want to shortchange that process of actually, you know, holding the feet of the opposition to the fire? And insisting that we want to hear very very clearly what your message is and want to make sure that it's inspiring and then you guys come together because then you can't be stopped because what I fear is that you know we will come together and we'll lose and that would be the tragedy I am in support of a winning coalition I'm in support of people coming together because they have the best ideas and they want to leverage each other's ideas to actually bring about change in the country. That I would be in support of.
0: So, right now you don't say that the coalition is, in, is, is inspiring in any way?
2: No, I, I, I haven't seen... Uh, I haven't been inspired enough, obviously, to join any of the conversations right now. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I won't be. Uh, you know, As time goes on, as we see what are the ideas that are being put out there on the, on the table, things might change. But, you know, to be honest with you, I haven't.
0: And would you be open to... Not being the presidential candidate in the coalition?
2: Would I be open <coughs> to being not being the presidential yeah, candidate I mean, in a you in know, in in I would in be a, listen, I would be open to do anything to bring about political change in our country and to make sure that we position ourselves to build the country. I would be open to anything, but the idea that you know you just come together and somehow if you come together, five million people are going to be inspired to vote uh, to me is uh, it doesn't make any sense you have to have a compelling vision for the country and and then come together in strength, unite in strength. And and in fact, you know, there's an an assumption that's there when it comes to conversations about the coalition, which is really sad. It's like, you guys are weak, so unite in your weakness and then you're going to be strong. I don't think it works that way.
1: I think, um, you know, I understand you. I think your position is quite clear on that. Um, I don't know um i haven't seen were you a part of uh you know NERA at all um and if you weren't did you not think that the fight for um you know petitioning uh zek um for you know evening out the election electoral playing field was something that's important enough for um the build zimbabwe alliance to be part of um in that way and you know Mm -hmm. where do you stand on you know these issues of bvr and and uh you know the current uh, administration of um, the Electoral Commission?
2: Uh, I have been accused of uh, trying to be part of NERA and having been turned down by NERA and all of that. So, you know, the, the conversation about NERA is always an amusing one for me. Um, no, we, uh, look, we support every effort by every Zimbabwean to put pressure on the current government to make sure that the uh, playing field is level. Everyone. And unfortunately in Zimbabwe, uh, some of these institutions, uh, and and I'm not specifically referring to NERA, but there are a lot of formations in this country that uh, start off and it's for one purpose and then you go in there and you find that it's for a different purpose. I really would love for us all, every political party and every institution, including NERA, to mobilize the people of Zimbabwe uh, to make sure that we can put pressure on the current government to even uh, level the playing field. And in your, any Zimbabwean who loves this country and who wants to see change has to want that, whether that person or that organization is part of NERA or not. You have to want an even playing field so that the voices of the people can be heard. And uh, BZA is not, is, is not any different. We said that from the beginning, even from the time that I was beginning to, to message. Uh, when we were having meetings outside the country, when we're in New York, that's part of the reason why we participated in all those demonstrations. To try and mobilize our friends uh, outside the country and within the country to put pressure on our government to level the playing field. So I, you know, one of the things that I, people might not realize is that there's a lot of politics even when it comes to being part of any of these uh, organizations which is why I go back to what I said earlier on. I love the name of your program, Politics and Beyond. I would love to have institutions like NERA and other organizations go beyond the politics of people participating in them, and actually, you know, making it clear that what they are interested in is simply making sure that there's a level playing field.
0: Um, with regards to, to to the elections and uh, NERA, moving away from NERA, but focusing on ZEC and um, the level playing field, do you think the playing field is level as it currently is now? And by the time you get to 2018, what is BZA doing to ensure that the You know, the playing field is level. And if you, if the playing field doesn't level out to a way that you are comfortable with, are you still going to participate or will you boycott? Good question.
2: So, so who levels the the, the playing field? Uh,
0: The level, the playing field is
2: obviously not level. PF has all the advantages right now. And as I said earlier, they have the resources, they control the machinery, the timetable of the election and all of that. So they have uh, an unfair advantage. Uh, generally speaking incumbents uh, usually have that uh, unfair advantage uh, so so now who levels the playing field so you know we can come together as political parties and put the pressure and we have we have gone to meetings with zec and we have made our uh, you know our views known about what should happen uh, and all of that and um, the question is you know does the current government listen to what we say well that's part of the reason why we want this political change isn't it they don't so i truly believe that the one way to level the playing field is by making this government understand that the people are truly, truly fed up. If the opposition parties can accomplish an unprecedented mobilization of Zimbabweans, and it's obvious, and whether it's obvious in the size of the public meetings we have, or whether it's obvious even in just the election turnout itself, that is, you know, we will have begun to put the kind of pressure that the incumbent government might actually um, yield to uh, you know, so, th- so that uh, the voices of the people are respected. Um, you asked and you said, you know, if the playing field is not level, will you participate? We're not there yet. I don't know uh, what the situation is going to be like in six months or so. Right now, we are working to make sure we can engage the people of Zimbabwe to participate in this process. And then we'll evaluate to see you know, what's going on but is it
1: not a bit disingenuous to Mm. to say we need high turnout because in 2008 there was high turnout there was an electoral victory and the government disregarded it so i think you can't now in you know eight years later or 10 years later say that you know putting unprecedented or you know i even bring you back to 2013 i I remember pictures of that uh, mdc crossover rally Mm. where you know most of that uh, city square there just on the outside of um, what is now rainbow towers was painted red and there was a massive turnout And yet still what happened in the election happened in the election. So you can say, oh, you know, we need a a voter turnout. There was a voter turnout in 2008. That didn't change the government. Mm -hmm. Um, You can say we need people on the street. There have been people on the street since 2002. That hasn't changed the government. Mm -hmm. Don't you think that maybe, you know, particularly in in this situation and the scenario that we're in today, Mm -hmm. uh, the structural issues which some of these people are calling for, um you should probably you know be pointing at some of those structural issues because at the end of the day you know i don't f- agree with your belief in 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 this government's respect for the majority
2: no i never said i, I this government is going to respect the wishes of the ma- majority and uh, the structural issues if even was, if, if that's even
1: if that was if that's what happened mm-hmm. is, i mean i don't know what happened in 2018 but well, if there's a situation where there is a majority. and Do you believe that they're respected? Well,
2: look, th- that's precisely the issue. So let's go back. You, you, you can't expect me to advocate for people not to vote or to engage, uh, to register to vote uh, because all these things must happen concurrently. The messaging, uh, addressing the structural issues and mobilizing people to register to vote uh, must happen concurrently. It's not one or the other. And we are not saying... We're not addressing the structural issues. Of course, we are. You asked me a question about NERA, and, and and what did I say? I said every single political party in Zimbabwe and every organization, whether it's NERA or not, must actually be engaged in putting pressure on the system to make sure that you, even, you level the, the playing field. So that needs to happen. And then the other thing that needs to happen, because you know, some of these things, you can't sequence them like that. So let's have the structural issues. And then after that, we'll you know, uh, start to mobilize people to uh, to register to vote. We must do that at the same time. And I think that as Zimbabweans, that's one thing that we must challenge our- ourselves, that we can chew gum and walk at the same time. And that's what
1: I, I think the, Chris's question was about ZEC. I think that's where I was coming from. <laughs> Because I know, I definitely, we can encourage people to register to vote, mm-hmm. we can encourage people to vote, but as a presidential candidate, you have to be aware of the situation in Zimbabwe and what has come no, before you. No, we, How mm-hmm. do you suggest that people are going to either protect their vote or you personally need to be cognizant of the fact that, okay, fine, in 2018, if I, Dr. nyoma do win, it's not guaranteed that I'm going to come into power. Mm-hmm. So um what i was more interested in is i I completely agree people must register to vote people must vote but that's not where it stops and if that's not in the consideration in what's happening before um you know then it's worrying because then what's the point
2: no no i think the assumption is wrong that that's not in the consideration by the way we actually engage zek on a weekly basis Uh, we have the highest level of representation in actually talking to Zek. Our guy was at Zek last week, and the riot police was there. Uh, even at Zek. every time now that uh, our people have a meeting with Zek, the riot police is actually present over there. Oh, you know, so we are part of that process. We are part, just like the MDC, is part of that process, and most of the opposition parties are actually represented there. So that's not something that we are not doing. What I'm saying is none of these things need to happen in, uh, you know, you, you, you can't neglect one part of it and just focus uh, on one. We have to put pressure on ZEC. Uh, we have to put the pressure on the government to level the playing field. We have to mobilize people to register to vote. We have to make sure that when it comes to the election, they actually go out there and vote. So all of it needs to happen uh, at the same time.
0: Uh, um, with, with with regards to your position, um, as as a presidential candidate, you are also a pastor mm-hmm. um if I am to be correct yeah. what is your position in terms of the separation of the church and the state uh you know we've we've seen a lot of our politicians going to canvas in term in in different churches and um the uh, apostolic faith for mm-hmm. one where they you know put on the gowns and they go and they Essentially, it's kissing babies, I right. suppose, you know. Right. So how do you um, relate in terms of the work of the church and the work of the state and the separation between the two entities? And does church doctrine influence your um, ideology as a political party?
2: Very, very interesting question and, and one that uh, I'm, I'm so glad you asked. And I was hoping that you would ask that question. Because I truly believe that each and every one's responsibility, whether you are a corporate um, being, like a church, uh, or an individual leading a family, our responsibility is to make sure that we engage our people in the responsibility of citizenship, and in fact, the promises of our faith. Uh, if you, you know, if I may, you know, you go back to John three sixteen, and it says, "Jesus came that we may have life and have it more abundantly," and. When people are not able to feed themselves, that's not having abundant life. When people are not able to send their children to school, that's not abundant life. When people are not able to have jobs, that's not abundant life. And the way that you ensure that you have abundant life is participating in the civic process, offering yourself for leadership in your areas. And when you see that things are going wrong in your community, you make sure that you address them. It's not a question of always deferring to the authorities. It's a question of making sure that, you know, you, 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 you advocate for the right things. And uh, if you see that people are being oppressed, uh, you get up and, you, and you, you speak out on behalf of those that are oppressed. So I am more uh, inspired by my faith to do what I do as a citizen. That is, for me, is the real whole point of my faith. You know, it is my faith that drives me to say it's not right uh, for people to be repressed. Uh, it's not right for soldiers uh, to beat up innocent people who are simply exercising their constitutional rights to demonstrate. It's my faith that says the police can't just arrest uh, someone without cause because according to my faith, uh, you know, justice must be the thing that really um, you know, guides us in our interactions with others. So that's more where the relevance of my faith. The other thing I've been also saying to my brothers uh, and sisters who are in the, in the faith the Bible tells us very clearly that we must be the light of the, of the world. And we must light the way uh, when it comes to making sure that we have leaders of integrity. Uh, we, as believers, must, must lead the way. You know, we must be leaders of integrity. I think the, these issues of uh, church and state sometimes are really uh, not looked at properly because people start asking, well, you know, if you come in, into power... Does that mean a, a, an un-Christian cannot vote for BZA, or will they have their rights uh, truncated? Well, that doesn't make any sense. You know, a citizen of Zimbabwe is a citizen of Zimbabwe, and whoever uh, is elected by the people to lead this country must understand that. And uh, it's not just people who agree with you, it's not just people who believe what you believe, it's the people who were put in this place called Zimbabwe by God, you know, and they're all Zimbabwean citizens. So...
0: That's
1: my approach to the faith question. All right. That's good. I um I yeah, I've never i never it was a good question. I actually actually hadn't uh hadn't picked up that you're a pastor as well. <laughs> so um so you see I'm I'm also being educated I, I, as I hope.
0: I, I believe you're also <laughs> a um actually the question is you you are Dr. Manika. What is the the, the, the doctor in or the doctorate <laughs> in or, you know, this is a question that always comes up. We've, we've addressed on this podcast the issue of, you know, PhDs uh, in this country and how everyone likes titles and yet, you know, some of them were not sure where they, how, you know, how genuine they actually are. So just curious to find out about your PhD. Well, Okay. Actually, um, my
2: training, my initial training is in journalism. That's my, uh, my first uh, degree. And then I, I got a master's in foreign service uh, from Georgetown University. Uh, I was training to actually become a, a diplomat at one time. And then I got a, a PhD in theology in Christian leadership.
1: Okay, all right, all right. This- yeah, no, no. It's a personal, it's a personal crusade of ours to to be fake doctorate busters. So everyone <laughs> who comes onto the yeah,
0: we're we're trying to root out as many you know fake PhDs right. as as we can, or or those that are that are bought. Let's right. not call them. Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So yeah. you you, you, you um, mentioned um, you know foreign. You said it's a masters in foreign in in foreign service in yeah. in, in foreign service. Yeah. Um, with that background or that uh, you know academic knowledge and looking at Zimbabwe where it currently is its position in in sorry in in the world and the issues that are going on, what would you say would be the best steps for, for Zimbabwe to turn around in terms of engaging the international community?
2: Well, it starts with us engaging each other. You know, I, I think you know, good foreign policy is dependent on the health, the political health of a country. And countries that are dysfunctional, countries that are you know, going through hard times, do not have the luxury of being able to engage other countries in a he- healthy way. So it really starts with us being a healthy uh, country. Uh, And, uh, you you know, for me, that's why my passion is uh, not not just coming up with, uh, you know, this is what we can do to relate with a country like the U.S. Well, all of this goes back to, so for instance, what what are the things that harms uh, international relations? What harms international relations is the perception of other countries uh, when it comes to how you treat uh, their business interests in your own country. And a lot of times when you have a dysfunctional economy like ours, you are going to treat people in the wrong way and it affects your international uh, politics as well and your international relationships. So for me, good foreign policy starts with a healthy country and a healthy economy and a strong country that can then project its national interest and actually advocate for it in international forum, you know? so. Um, As long as we don't have that, if you look at uh, our situation in Zimbabwe today and you look even at our foreign policy and the state of our embassies and stuff like that, it's a reflection of how dysfunctional and how broken our country is. So, you know, it starts with us. We have to engage each other. We have to build our country. We have to build a healthy country. We have to equip those who represent uh, represent us outside of our country uh, so that they can advocate for our best interests. Because we have something of value to protect, we have something that we're actually proud of. So it starts with the with the local economy.
1: Yeah, I think um, you know I can. I think if we if we started getting to that, I was going to ask um, about just you know the global pressures that you know smaller economies generally feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if we're sort of getting into more of those theoretical things, I don't know what our time is like, so I was going to ask Chris what our time is like. But I, I was interested to know um, about, you know, your stance on things like sanctions and as far as, you know, that's something tangible that is affecting the country. And uh, I don't think that they're immediately going to go away because you're president mm-hmm. if you become elected president um. You might have to make some concessions. And I think a lot of people, um, a lot of young people who, you know, may, um, definitely espouse some of the values that, um, for the land reform and things like that, right. uh, you know, believe, you know you your a fledgling government like yours might be under some pressure to to make some concessions with those things including the land including you know the resources including things like indigenization um you know we have not spoken about those actual policies and i would i'd like to know your 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 stance on something like indigenization for example um you know are you a pan africanist in that way <laughs>
2: uh, there's no country which has there's no great country which doesn't have strong indigenous um, economic backbone. There's no country which, which doesn't have that. What you actually need is to make sure that whatever indigenous um, economy you're building can actually partner with uh, you know, foreign capital to strengthen itself. So you, you, you actually work against yourself if you make it difficult for your indigenous uh, industries and so on to partner with global capital to actually strengthen themselves and take advantage of the business of opportunities that might be there globally. So this is not a, and I think that's one of the biggest problems that we've had in this, in Zimbabwe, that we've had this zero-sum game mentality, that it's either indigenization or nothing. No, we have to have the kind of policies that attract partnership between foreign capital and indigenous business people. Um, and there's no country, there's no strong country which doesn't have a strong indigenous uh, uh, backbone. You, you can't build a great country without that.
0: Okay. Uh, Henry was asking about time. We're really close to wrapping up, actually. And it's been a pleasure to have you here and hear some of the things that you said. What I want to know is what, what is your plan? What are the plans? What can we expect to see in the next 12 months, Um, if we are to say that the election will be 12 months from today, what is it that we can see within the next 12 months?
2: Well, thank you so much for having me, and it's it's just a, a joy to be here and to be talking to you guys. But here's what I'm going to commit to you. I am totally focused on making sure that we can share with the Zimbabwean people a vision of what we can be. I'm totally focused on making sure that I can challenge each and every Zimbabwean Whatever their generation to play their part in building their country. And I'm, I'm mindlessly focused on that. I'm, I'm also uh, one of the messages that I was telling some people uh, today for years, uh, we have not had the change that we want because you know, people can be bribed uh, into accepting things which are not acceptable. It is high time that we made that statement that it doesn't matter what you give me. If you give me a stand, it doesn't guarantee me that I'm going to be able feed my family after the elections next year. And in any case, we know that after the election, you can send people to repossess that farm uh, or repossess that stand. So you're going to hear me uh, talking about this mindlessly. And what we want to put in Zimbabwean people is this idea we cannot be bought. We can't. We have to make the right decisions for our country. We have to have the right leadership. We have to have the right policies. We have to have people of integrity actually leading our country. And that's that's really going to be our message, and relenting message. And the other part of our message is I'm going to be challenging those people who don't register to vote to actually register to vote so that you can have something to fight for, even if you are cheated. And as we were talking about earlier on, as I was answering Henry, we are committed to making sure that we put pressure on Zach, pressure on the government to level the playing field, But we're also telling Zimbabweans, you know, don't think that if they level the playing field and you don't register to vote and they go out there and they mobilize their people, that anything is going to change in this country. That's going to be our unrelenting message. And we're going to work hard. That's the other thing that you're going to see. We are going to work hard and we're going to work hard and work hard until uh, the day of the election. Hopefully, you will give us a mandate uh, to bring the change to our country that we need.
0: How, you spoke about uh, registering to vote. I just want to get a, an idea. What, what is your position on uh, biometric voter registration and the process that has happened thus far?
2: Yeah, it's just unfortunate that in Zimbabwe, some of these things which may be good things happen in a wrong context because wherever you go in the world, you're going to find that uh, whether it's just getting data from people to register them, to get IDs or whatever, that there is this biometric uh, process that's it's global. You know? uh, we're living in a digital world. But unfortunately, our system is so broken that whatever form of registration happens, it might not even be fair. So, and it puts us in a dilemma because, you know, as opposition people, it's like, well, you know, if you oppose BVR, are you against the modernization of registration processes? No, we're not. Uh, And at the end of the day, it's really not about BVR or non-BVR. It's about the process being run by people who can be trusted and making sure that it serves the population of Zimbabwe and not one political party. So that, that's where the dilemma is uh, for, for us. Uh, but we will keep on putting pressure that they do the right thing.
0: Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... Um, no, the, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a great interview. I um, you know, I enjoy the fact that your ideas, and it's particularly novel, this leadership, um, this focus on leadership um, as almost an ideology uh, would just like to, to, to you know, to maybe remind you that Zim is very big. So please get your ideas out there quickly. I think um, Zimbabwe only learned in 2008 how right. big Zimbabwe is. <laughs> so, Absolutely. So if it means you're every day for, from now until, uh, you know, 2018, until this time, I suppose, I, I think we might be actually hitting the latest date um, in a year's time that we can host at the, right. after the election. Right. I think it's just... Um, I don't know if I'm not sure if it's the 26th of July or mm-hmm. 26th of August, which is the latest date next year, they can have the election. Mm-hmm. Um, I do encourage you if it means taking two, three trips to different provinces every week, um, yeah. get those ideas out there because at the end of the day, you're changing the conversation right. and um, people can only benefit from that. Oh, um, but yeah, thanks. Thank I'm, you very much for being on I'm, the. I'm,
0: um, I'm very interested yeah. to see how you're going to do it because, you know, as as, as Henry said, Simama, when learned mm-hmm. that Zimbabwe is very big. But also Zimbabwe is also, is diverse right. as as much as we might, you know, want to, I think a crisis we have is that all politics happens in Harare, yeah. you know, and we forget that there are places, you know, out there, Kumarua, Chaiko Chaiko, where they, some places don't even get radio. Yeah. Um, and Um, Checheche. Che-che, <laughs> Mali Party, you yeah. know, all these, yeah. all these places out there and there are voters there. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't know how it is that you're going to reach out to these people. I don't know if you've, if you've got a plan or if you've
2: been... We do, you, we, we do. And, and, you know, the, the reality, I'm, I'm so glad that you guys are very, very clear on what the situation is in our country. Right now, if you look at the division of the, um, between the urban and uh, rural constituencies, we're 67 urban. Well, they, 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 you know Some of them are peri-urban, but it's 67 and 143 rural. So there's no way you can win this election concentrating on the 67. You have to make sure that you actually win uh, in in the 143 as well. Mm -hmm. So we are on the same page. Um, We we are working on it. Uh, and uh, I can promise you that uh, we are going to be in different parts of this country, not two times a week, Henry, but three times or four times a week. Do you have have a, a
0: sort of deadline as to when you want to have, you know, say all your um, MPs in place? Yeah, when, is there is there a date where you're like by this certain date we should have all 210 right. people that we know are going to run? Because yeah, people have seen you, mm-hmm. but we don't know who is going to be standing in Mount Pleasant right. or who is going to be standing in Checheche right. or Malipati. <laughs> well, Mount or Pleasant, why did you go straight and for Fadzi? <laughs> Hey, listening, so. it, you know, it was the first you know you're what, already but, trying to find challenges for you, know what, May- May- you know maybe yeah. she'd be interested to know who she's going to come up against from from <laughs> right. Kuti, their slogan is manyane Bisa. Bisa, yeah, yeah so she right. wants to know Kuti, who you <laughs> <laughs> Which bizarre is going to be coming up again? No, so, is yeah. there a date where you know where you say this, by then we should have we should know? So, let,
2: let me tell you what I did before. Right, mm-hmm. I set myself a date and uh, and and I learnt myself. <laughs> okay, we we need the best leadership. Mm-hmm. Is, is is the answer that I can give you? Okay. we need the best leadership. We need to identify people who are the right people and uh, not necessarily look. If it happens before, uh, you know, September this year that we have everybody, that would absolutely be great. Mm -hmm. But we need the best candidates in each constituency, and that's how we are operating. And if we can get that, you know, uh, know, whether there is five months uh, to the election or ten months to the election, I really believe that they have a fair chance. Uh, of upsetting things
0: so if you don't get 210 and say you get maybe a hundred and so are you still going to just go with that oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. terms of the best leadership oh,
2: absolutely we absolutely i mean you have to have the best leadership that, okay. that that's really really important okay. and you'll be surprised though at uh, how well uh, we've done in some places already mm-hmm. in terms of uh, and we see that by how many people uh, end up on our roles as a party not not um you know it's not the election is not there yet, sure. So, we can only uh, count on the number of people that we see on our rolls. So, in some places, we're doing quite well, and then you know, in some places, you, you partner with somebody and then you realize, Yeah, they're not really the right person, and mm-hmm. you you part ways. Uh, but we are really committed to that process of identifying the right leadership. Uh, in because if we do, because as I said at the beginning. Our belief is that Zimbabwe is facing a leadership crisis and we need leadership renewal from top to bottom. So, okay. if we're going to be consistent with that, then you know, we need the right leadership.
0: So, where can people find you online they can, if they you know, they want can, to engage?
2: They can find us at org. Okay. Uh, that's where we are. All right. Yeah.
0: Thank you very much. You've been listening to Politics and Beyond on Capital 263. My name is Christopher Farai Charamba. You can find me at Chris Charamba on all social media,
1: and I'm Henry Beattie. And uh, yeah, you can find me uh, tweeting about Arsenal on all social media at uh, Henry Beattie. I don't talk politics anymore on social
0: <laughs> media. <laughs> yeah, you got you got tired, huh?
1: they were coming after you. I got tired, I got I, I they were coming after me so. <laughs> Yeah so, no, I so don't
0: worry <laughs> I'm going to bait him into coming back to certain conversations there so so next week I'll let you know if I've won <laughs> in my battle <laughs> so, <thank laughs> All right thank you very much free, right, free right, to say 3 2 do Good? it yeah capital 263